You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. So Dewey Halpas is a good friend of mine. He's an old friend of mine, really. Dewey was in a band called Anatomy of a Ghost, and they were pretty much one of the, a pretty er, relatively early screamo band that was on Fearless Records. They're from Portland, Oregon, and were part of the scene that was uh, Blood Brothers and Fear Before the March of Flames, Anatomy of a Ghost, and uh, we they were around and like a real emerging band when Emory was a local band. And then uh, we looked up to them and stuff. And then we wound up getting to do a tour with them, our second tour we ever did in 2004, our second big real tour. And uh, the Anatomy of a Ghost guys were some of the most fun and crazy and, and, and really wild guys. A lot of them moved down from Alaska. And so they saw the world differently and did stuff differently. And we always had a really good connection with them. Um, back in those days, it was just the early days when everything was wild and fun, and they were in the same spot. And then uh, that band kind of fell apart, and Dewey and I discussed this on the episode today. And then a couple of the guys from that band went on to do the band Portugal the Man. And Portugal the Man has turned out to be a wildly, hugely successful uh, indie band. And so that's great. As It's very always happy to see people move on and do bigger and even better things. Now, Dewey now is a podcaster. He's one of my favorite podcasters because he got the perfect work ethic. He applies all the stuff that he knows about guitar. And, you know, Dewey's always been obsessive about restringing guitars and gear and how stuff works. He's a kindred spirit in that way, and now he's a podcaster, and he loves every little aspect of podcasting. He's a real enthusiast about it. And he's quite good at it too. His podcast is called Peer Pleasure. It's a it's on Jabberjaw Media, so you can find it there. Just search Peer Pleasure podcast. He gets a lot of great guests, and he's just really good as a host. So uh, he was just somebody that I get to use this platform, my podcast, to be able to talk to about things I'm interested in and what he's interested in, and, and even catch up with him. But he's a stimulating guy, and we have a stimulating conversation. Now, this conversation is brought to you by broadcast supply worldwide. So I'm going to take a little bit of time here and tell you a little bit even in more detail about broadcast supply and why it's good. So there's these other online retailers that you, you know, you buy stuff from. It could be Amazon or even one of the music specialty ones. Now, broadcast supply is highly specialized and they they specialize not only just in music stuff but really broadcast. So podcasting, broadcasting, microphones, uh, mic stands, boom arms, interfaces, uh, all that kind of stuff. And in being specialized in that, they know a ton about it. They have a bunch of packages for podcasting equipment. It's something they've paid very much attention to because it's really an emerging industry. And they know more about it, and they have more specific gear for that than any other retailer does. They supply the stuff to most of the big radio stations around the country. And one of my favorite things about them is they have a uh, support staff that, on the phone that can talk you through a bunch of your po- questions about podcasting and how do you hook this up or do you need a USB mic or do you should you use a broadcast mic and how do you mix it together and how do you make a, multiple mics mix and go into Skype, that kind of questions. And um, they're good at it and they're there to help you. Their prices are great, competitive or better than anybody else's out there anyway. And the best part about it is you can get 10% off of anything that you buy there if you use my promo code DOWN, D-O-W-N, DOWN. Anything in their podcasting category, which is a ton of stuff, you get 10% off of anyway. They have free shipping for any order that you make that's $99 or over. Their warehouse is right in the middle of the country, so stuff can get to you very quickly. There's really is really the only place you should buy audio gear from, in my opinion. And I was really happy to get connected with them. It was somebody I worked with at Guitar Center way back in 2001, who's now a big shot over there. And he kind of started listening to podcasts and we reconnected and he found out I was doing podcasts and thought it would be a a good fit to try to go into that market. And I have to just give him a ton of credit for that because that's very forward thinking. 
podcast advertising. I don't know if you know a ton about it, but there's the companies that do it, the, the big ones that are kind of engineered that way. And then all the, and, and of course that exists, but it's, there's not a ton of companies that are traditional that are moving into podcast advertising, or at least it's slow moving. And so I give these guys a ton of credit for being forward thinking, trying new ideas and trying to reach a new market. So I think it's worth supporting. It's not even supporting. I'm, I mean, there's nothing to this. It's just the best deal for the best company on the best stuff, and it helps the show out, and you get a discount and free shipping if you spend over $99. So it's very obvious to me, but tell your friends, bookmark this page, bswusa.com, and look there first when you want to know about microphones. They do all these tutorial videos, and they're really good. They have YouTube videos embedded right on their site that answer a ton of your questions because um, I get podcast questions constantly this is who i would ask if i didn't already know the answer and you know they'll don't ask me ask them and buy stuff from them that's that's the point and i appreciate them sponsoring the show and it really pays the rent in the studio that i'm in so i can't thank them enough and i mean that with all sincerity so thank you to brian and everybody at broadcast supply worldwide for you know helping propel this experiment of the break it down podcast forward um i won't take much of your time else on anything else today other than to tell you that emory has some shows up and if you really do want to support that's emorymusic.com and if you want to support this show if you're listening to the show for free i'd ask that you would consider supporting it and contributing to it with some of your money i think it will uh You'll be invited to join our Slack community where we hang out and talk about stuff. And I just think it's better to pay for the media that you consume. Uh, and I think the future will be largely that way. So it's better to just be forward thinking on that and pay as you go. I mean, I, it's t no, no problem for people that want to take the show free. I, I hope 10,000 more people listen to the show for free. No hard feelings whatsoever. But I would suggest to you that being an active participant, joining the community, and directly supporting the media that you consume in whatever way you can is the way to go. I think it is the, the way that the future will go, and it's how the whole thing will work, that we get media that is created for us to consume that has our best interest in mind. So I would suggest you should go to my website or Patreon page uh, and support the Break It Down podcast. And that my website is breakitdownpod.com. So go check that out if you don't mind. And all right, let's talk to Dewey. Break it down, Dada. Break it down, oh, break it down. Break it down, oh, break it down. Break it down, oh. Dewey Halpas, sitting in your car on your lunch break podcasting with me. Yes, sir. <laughs> That's a funny sitting, thing. <laughs> sitting in the car I took my driving test in when I was 16, and I'm 34. You have the same car <laughs> as you had when you were 16? Yeah, I got it from my dad. The uh, The van I was driving, the side door, I got the van for free from a buddy. After I started having kids, he's like, hey, you need a van. I'm getting a truck. And uh, the side door fell off. <laughs> so uh my dad's like hey i still got the dodge you want to take that and i was like sure so it's still running you're in a dodge van from what year uh, this is a 95 dodge spirit the the van i had had the door fall off so that's sitting up at my folks in seattle right now oh so, i see yeah that's i'm against funny. having a car payment i guess so I just well drive with it. you know it, i am against having a car payment too in fact specifically that's a, one of the big principles of my uh financial life is like okay there's lots of stuff to spend money on there's tons of stuff that we spend money on more than more than a car payment would even be probably childcare, for instance but uh yep. but i don't have i've never had a car payment and i just don't think anybody should i think it's great i wish i had a porsche or something you know what car i wish i had was a, a brand new white corvette i would never <laughs> drive it i'd be so embarrassed if i had a nice car so part of it is i would be so embarrassed if i had a nice car I just would be, but I love cars. But um, I I think it's great if people have nice cars if you can afford it, and you can afford a nice car if you can pay cash for one. That's, sure. That's that's all good. Yeah. That's just the way I think about it. So I don't. I mean, I'll try. I try to get a car that's usually worth around ten thousand dollars, and then I trade it when it gets to be worth five or six thousand, and then I try to pay mm -hmm. an extra four or five thousand dollars to keep keep up. And that's basically my sure. system on how to buy cars is whatever. So we have a 
two SUVs, and that's what is what we got. And I tried to keep the, the, our nice car is a ten thousand dollar SUV with one hundred and seventy thousand miles on it. That's worth about eight grand now. And when it starts <laughs> to get worth about five grand, I'll sell it and get it something else. Sure, and save sure. up the cash. So that's good. <laughs> Yeah, coming from touring life, man, you don't you appreciate what you have for sure, and, yes. you, and you're a lot easier to get around. Yes, uh, you know, something gets you point A to point B. It doesn't matter what it looks like necessarily. Well, that's a good point, Dewey. It's a function. Uh, touring and DIY touring, especially, teaches you functionality and practicality and pragmatism, at least. Like it's so pragmatic yeah. how you tour. There's so many things you do on tour that. You just would most people would never do or seem goofy or wrong, and it's just a purely utility thing. And you know, yeah, it's uh, it's a kind of good lessons, I think. It's survival, man. You gotta you find out what you're made of, you find out you know who you are. I mean, I think everyone should, I've said it on my show before, I think everyone when they turn you know 18, they should put off college and throw some money at them, let them go find themselves for six months, you know. Um, and and get some perspective and some. How would view. you do that? I mean, touring's easy. Uh, uh, well, first of all, if you could go on tour, that is good. You're saying, first of all, for young people. Absolutely, I think just going out and finding yourself, being away from home, you know, being self sufficient as far as here's a certain amount of money you got to make this last. Because with touring, when we started touring, it was three dollars a day, and we'd go to McDonald's and we would get a McChicken sandwich, which was a dollar. We'd get a side salad and we'd get a cup for water and a small fry. And we'd take the fries, put them on the bun from the chicken sandwich, cut up the chicken, put it on the side salad. And it felt like you're having a gourmet meal. Yeah. But I mean, you just had to get inventive with what you had and, uh, you know, that kind of thing, like just, just surviving. I mean, it's a big deal. And a lot of people don't have any idea how to do that. Well, I don't know what you're saying, though, you would do for a young person if they didn't have the opportunity to tour. How would they find themselves, let's say? Or I think it would be awesome to have a government-funded program that would give you, you know, here's $2,000 when you turn 18 to go out and do what you want to do as far as traveling. Go out, you know, do what you can do kind of thing where people, you know, sometimes young people come into some money, inheritance or whatever, and they go on a road trip for, you know, three yep. or four months. Um so, but to get this two thousand dollar grant, though, you would have to, you couldn't be at home. You just must stay out of your state, at least, right? To collect. Correct. It. Yeah. Correct. That's yep. not so bad. I'm not into I government entitlements I mean, very a... much, but I, I do think that's a reasonable idea. If it would, it, you know, if it would, I'm okay with the problem with government stuff is it's it's typically de-incentivizing. So if you could get the incentives correct, there's nothing wrong with spending government money to move people mm -hmm. in a direction that they ought to go. But incentivizing yeah. people to not move is is just it's just horrible to me. But at least even sure. I don't know if this is a real idea or not or but I like it I like the thought process behind it <laughs> yeah I mean here's two grand take two months go out and, and do it I mean this is and two grand is, is you know pocket change but um, you know go out do your thing and come back teach people what you found out about yourself or lessons you've learned we'll, we'll double that towards your college tuition or no, something like that you know incentivize it that way but no, it's just like a pipe that. dream it's just an idea I came up with uh on one of my shows and, and, uh, you know, the, the, the amount of perspective and worldview we gather from touring is, is priceless. Yeah. I mean, that's what I'm, that's what I'm trying to get at is I wonder if there's a, what are the other best ways to get it? So people talk about, uh, backpacking in Europe and I was spending $12 a day and eating bread and olive oil and vinegar in Italy. And it was, <laughs> I just had a backpack and slipped in this hostel or with this family for $4 or something like that's the same kind yeah. of thing, right? Exactly. Yeah, that's exactly the same thing. Just finding yourself. Could you do that in the U? What What would somebody do if they had two or three thousand dollars and they lived in Arizona? So they're no longer allowed in Arizona. They have to be. They have to. Okay, so they get different amounts of money. They had to check in at different points. They could not just sure. go to another state and camp out either. They had to be on the move. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It'd be like Amazing Race kind of. <laughs> yeah, you had to take greyhounds and things yeah. like that. Sure. Yeah. You couldn't just get a car and drive like you'd need to make your way, you know, yeah. find your way, you know, they could even take you, drop you off and you find your way home. That's, that's <laughs> yeah, and then make it a TV show to recoup some of the, the <laughs> entitlement money. Well, um, exactly. The other thing that's utility about touring is, uh, so we have a, a bus that we own and I don't know if you've ever seen our bus, but we've eventually grabbed it. You know, we started in vans and all that stuff. And now we have an 84, uh, basically it is a Greyhound bus that we have and have retrofitted. Now, 
we didn't make this a luxury bus. And part of the thing I'm most proud about the thing is it's so utility. Like people walk on a bus, as I was a tour bus, and they expect it to be wood paneling and flat screen TVs and stuff like that. We don't have any of that stuff. It's the original floor from the Greyhound bus in 1984. And then it's... uh, some little couches we put in. We did camping chairs for a long time as the furniture inside the bus. <laughs> because, you know, you sit That's in park. Weird. You ever be on tour and you sit in a parking lot in camping chairs? How wonderful that is. Like, yeah, it's the it's, best thing to be in a Walmart amazing. parking lot with camping chairs that unfold. And you can, and so we just would put them, in, put them in the bus. We had we just did a minimalist and left the front space open. We built bunks in the back. And we'd sit in, just mm-hmm. sit in camping chairs. You can sit sit wherever you want. You can sit in a circle. You can sit facing the front. You can sit near the driver. You can go over and work on your laptop. And it's just great. And it feels like you're just, you know, it has nothing to do with aesthetics at all. It's just, it's not impressing somebody. It's not some show-off company leasing you a nice, goofy bus. It's, this thing's huge. You can do whatever you want in it. It takes us from gig to gig. It's utility. It feels good. It's like camping. It's problem-solving. It's awesome. And you own it. You're not paying yeah. that $2,000 a day. You don't have to worry about it. Do you pay a driver? or do, No, does one of you course guys drive not. It? What are you, crazy? Driver's $200 Dude. a day plus a hotel room and his cab <laughs> back and forth to the hotel. That's a, it's, you know, that's more than we make yeah. a day. I can't have a yeah. driver making more than we make in a day. <laughs> sure. So, well, no. the only I mean, the only time I've been on your bus was when you were renting a bus. Yeah, and that, was, you, that, that was on the question tour. Oh, that yeah. was well, a long we time were ago. flush with cash back then, do we? <laughs> yeah, you guys were hitting it hard. <laughs> well, I know that we weren't flush with cash. We just spent it all for a while. But we didn't have yeah. other, we didn't we didn't have the experience and the knowledge and stuff. You know what I mean? Like that came sure with time. But the purest parts were like when we were first touring together, Anatomy of Ghosts and Emery. Uh, y'all played the main support slot, at, and we yep. were the second band on yep. that tour. And you were the main support yep. to Beautiful Mistake. That was the second tour we'd ever done. Yeah, that was see that was awesome tour because that's when you really saw things change because it was a full U.S. and basically by the second half we realized and I think we even talked about like uh, you guys should be playing after us because you guys were blowing up yeah and you know we were I don't know how we got the main support slot on that tour and I don't uh, I mean that tour was an awesome tour but it was a weird lineup and and everyone was going nuts for you guys and and then you know we go on afterwards and it almost felt like uh, I'd say before halfway that you guys needed to be playing after us in the main support slot. Um, but at that point we were just, that's the tour we pretty much were like breaking up on. Yeah. So, so was I mean, I mistake, remember I like in Texas riding in your guys's van and talking about it because we're like, I was like, dude, my band is ending and I'm the only one who doesn't want it to end. And you guys are like, well, why don't you just keep going? And I was like, well, that's a great question because I didn't write a lot of the stuff. You know, it's mainly John's music, and and uh, so I'd feel weird doing that, and I never went on with it. But uh, that was our—I think that was our last tour. Yeah, and I think it might have been Beautiful Mistakes last tour. I hadn't thought about that in a really long time, but you're right because we, our record came out, and we got on the Tooth and Nail tour. It was our first tour, and we were the opener on that mm-hmm. tour, and we had fans from the day the record came out, which was awesome. And then it, you know, but it took a little time for us to. You know, we were selling a few thousand records a week, but the weeks just kept going and going and going, you know, in the word of mouth and stuff. So this was the second tour. So this is a few months into our first release, and it was like, wow, here it goes. And it didn't feel that crazy at the time, but that probably was true by the end of that tour where we might have been the big big of draw. People would leave before the headliner even a lot, you know. Yeah, a lot of people would leave after we played. Yeah, exactly. And then the next tour we did after that... We did a couple of tours after that where it was the same thing or even worse. We did a few tours where it was like we were support main support or something, and it was like everybody would leave after we would play, which is a really cool time. <laughs> that's not the situation anymore. But, uh, you know, that's not that bad yeah. a thing. Like that's what you want is when you want a main support. That's a good get if you get a main support band that can outdraw you. It's like, hell yeah. <laughs> you know, that's sure. not you. Yeah. Don't complain about that. We One time we had – when we first started headlining, we were looking for main support bands. We'd always had trouble getting them. And then finally, we're like, okay, these, these bands are selling like a 1000 a week. They're both brand new bands. I never heard of these stupid bands, but whatever. And it was, uh, you got to pick. Here's the two you have. There's a band called Day to Remember and a band called Mayday Parade. And we, for whatever reason, wound up just picking Mayday Parade. And it was like, all right, just some band. Sounds like they're going to be okay. And then they were just, I mean, obviously yeah. both of those would have destroyed Unbelievable. But uh, Day to Remember probably would have been even better. And sh- I sure 
do wish we'd have chosen them just in the sense that I would know them and have a little more access to them or maybe they'd taken us on tour later. But, we, you know, yeah. we've never really played with them or, or know them. I'm sure we know each other, but we've never played together. But Mayday Parade was awesome, but they outdrew us a lot of nights. It was like, oh, wow, people are leaving after they played, but still good. The shows were yeah. every show was amazing back then. But we didn't take any sure. money home. We did a show back then. Uh, we were spending all that bus money, is what we were talking about. But yeah, <laughs> we played a show with. Uh, this is funny because before that tour, we were doing a tour. I forget. Oh, no, maybe it was. It was with you guys. It was that tour. We combined that tour with My Chemical Romance and Avenged Sevenfold. That's I think, right. In uh, Dallas. That's right. And we ended up playing after My Chemical Romance. That's right. Before Avenged Sevenfold. It was at the and Gypsy then they both became Ballroom. the biggest band in the world. Yeah. It was Gypsy Ballroom. We played down the street in San Antonio at the same night. And then the next night we went to Dallas and they just said, well, we better combine these shows. And there was this band called My Kim that was supporting this hardcore band from Orange County called Avenged Sevenfold. I didn't know either band, really. And uh, I mean, I'd heard of both bands, but they weren't, neither one of them were significant. They They were the same size as our tour. Our tour was a little bit smaller. Than theirs, and our tour was pretty yeah. small well, overall. Both 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 tours were doing four or five hundred people a night, basically. Yeah, yeah, and they're following the same towns and yeah. And we played with him and uh, Avenged on Warp Tour, and we did that Warp Tour uh, on the Kevin Says stage, uh-huh. um, where we got bumped up to our main stage slot, which we slept in in Portland. Kevin threw us on main stage as a favor, and we slept in and missed the show. Oh, for real? <laughs> it was amazing. Yeah, that was one of the, <laughs> that was amazing. That's but, crazy. Yeah. yeah, and then when we did Warp Tour, Avenged and Mike Kim were the headliners on that in 05. Oh, it was just a year later. That must have been yeah. so fast. It was just a year later, and they were the biggest bands you could ever imagine just a year later. Yeah. Yeah, and I think they're all worth millions of dollars now. It's insane. <laughs> you know, I They hit right at the right time before all the downloading. Yeah, no, those, those, that, yes, they absolutely did. And they deserve it. Those bands are good. I mean, they do it the right stuff. I mean, it's... It's, yeah. you know, they get what they're worth for sure in that regard as far sure. as what they're doing. Um, and Anatomy just fell apart. Yeah, Anatomy <laughs> just fell apart. Basically, it started as, as uh, we had a few tours that we, we bailed on just because John and Joe would get in a fight and in, say, North Carolina and then be like, all right, you know what, we're not going to continue this tour. So John would climb underneath the bunk in the van and Joe would sit in the front seat and we drove all the way back from North Carolina straight. And the Fear Before guys were on that tour, and they continued it and went on. But um, then we went back out on tour again, and and, uh, eventually Nick was like, I just want to go home and work a day job. I don't want to do this anymore. And uh, Joe's kind of the same way. And then John and Zach wanted to do Portugal the Man. And at that point, I was was pissed because I was like, man, this is it. We had, like, major labels bidding on us. Our management was like, just do not break, just go, like, just do not break up right now. (laughs) And they're like, yeah, we don't care. And I was like, are you guys serious? We can be set for life at, at least, you know, for a while. And uh, we worked so hard on this and had had so many great opportunities that we we jumped on and helped out. But, man, it was crazy. And then all of a sudden it was like in, in uh, I think it was, it was Dallas maybe. They were basically like, yeah, that's it. This is That's the end. We'll do a last show in Portland and that's it. And uh, it was just crazy. It was because I was literally like the only one that was like, no, let's keep doing this. And uh, and I was pissed about the whole thing. So when they're like, you want to, you know, do something with Portugal, the man, uh, it's a side project. John wanted to start. I was like, no, I don't want to be involved with that. I want to do this. You know, I was still a kid at the time and and uh, had no idea where Portugal would go yeah. after that. And uh, it was just literally acoustic. Yeah, I remember at the time and, I was doing that. and I was like, I like playing aggressive music. Like, I don't want to play this stuff. And then uh, a few years after that, they called me up and said, hey, we got some shows with Dredge. Do you want to come out and play? And I was like, yeah, sure, let's do it. And I came over and learned the set and went down and played with Dredge and just kept playing with them for a few years. Uh-huh. Um, going on with me, touring with Poison Well and stuff and, and uh, had some crazy awesome tours and going to Europe. That was awesome, too. And, and uh, But that was the extent of it. Like, it was, it was just like a weird ride. <laughs> Yeah, did uh, that? I mean, I don't think anybody saw the Portugal the Man thing coming to be as big as this. I don't even know if I have a grip on it. I keep, I just am always confused. I was like, is that band? That's John's band is what doing what now? I mean, I just can't believe it. Like, I don't even know how to. They're number one at what? They just hit number one for feel 
but still that new single uh-huh. uh, on the Billboard AAA radio charts. That's crazy. It's insane. Like, it's absolutely insane. And they just released a new single today on Spotify, which is awesome. And I, they did so many songs for that record and uh, recorded with several producers, Danger Mouse, uh, Mike D from the Beastie Boys, um, and just spent so long recording it and finally decided on, you know, the 10 songs they want. And, and uh, it's fantastic. It's a fantastic record. And... Uh, but yeah, it's it's to see where they're at now, and then going over to John's house and just you know hanging out or or uh, or Zach's place and being like, I just saw you on TV. Yeah. You know, it's 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 surreal. Yeah, but they worked hard. I mean, they worked really hard to get there. Well, it's and, uh, it's no offense, but it's way better. At least John is way better in that band than he was in your band. I didn't ever. Oh, think yeah. it was the right thing for. I, I always thought he was. I don't know how to describe this, but John. Here's the thing about what John was doing there. It was. Uh, it's pretty important, but I never thought it sounded that good. So I know that's a weird thing to say, so let me untangle it. I never understood, and to this day, don't actually like heavy music with that high singing. But John was the first person, mm-hmm. to, one of the first people to do that. So I think Seosin yep. was there like that, close, mm-hmm. but it was no, it's no difference. Like Anthony Green and John was doing that, and then Chiodos and stuff like that. And then on and on from there, but I never understood that. It always, it seemed to not match to me that high singing, heady voice stuff didn't seem to match aggressive music. Now I'm wrong about that because it's huge and people love it, but yeah. I always felt like it sounded disconnected to me. Like that, that, that singing. First of all, I can't tell what key he's in or the band is in. Well, always, I've always felt like it was hard to hear or hard for him to hear. I didn't know if he was a good yeah. singer or a bad singer. It was just so foreign to me of what he was doing. More is more foreign to me at the time, which means it was mm-hmm. actually out there than it, than I was picking up on. Um, but it, and maybe it was just a little ahead of its time in aggressive music, or maybe it could have gotten better, or maybe it would have made more sense if y'all had hung on. I mean, it really might have. It might have been like. Anthony Green and John and Circus Survive and Anatomy of a Ghost. Who knows what it could have been. But um, yeah. it's, cer- it's certainly much more understandable to me in Portugal the man what he does. I'll put it that way. Sure. And he's, he didn't know he's amazingly he was, yeah. talented, and I didn't know that he was at the time. I'll put it that way. He's amazingly yeah. talented, and I toured with him and thought, I don't guess he's any good, is what I thought yeah. <laughs> at the time. So no offense to your band, but I, it was a good band. I like the music. I just didn't think the singer was that good. And now I think, holy yeah. shit, that guy's an amazing talent. He is, and he he didn't know who he was at the time. Yeah. And he and I told him flat out, I was like, "Dude, you gotta stop singing this falsetto. It's out yeah. of key." Right. And he would get pissed, and so would I. And we almost got in fist fights in some stores, like <laughs> on tour, over this stuff, just arguing about things like, "Dude, just don't do the falsetto stuff." And he just he knew what he wanted to do. Yeah. He just wasn't there. He yet. wasn't quite and the right package found for it. it, but yeah. And he maybe that could have worked out if y'all didn't break up and all that stuff. But it's what he's doing now. It obviously works. But yeah, well, he took a lot of the lyrics from the the second Anatomy record we haven't released, and it's it wasn't ever recorded. It's all demoed. Uh-huh. And uh, we had John Goodmanson lined out to do it mm-hmm. at Robert Lang, and uh, the label Fearless hated it. They hated the record. They, they said it's just a bunch of parts, and of course it was. That's it was exactly demos. what it was. Yeah. And uh, so the no support from the label also really put attention on john and us because it's like the label doesn't like it you know and not that we necessarily cared but it was just another nail in the coffin that was like okay people don't really believe in this and uh you know we thought it was great john goodmanson came down and made a ton of notes and then when we ended up breaking up uh the blood brothers ended up taking our studio time to record crimes Uh so with john goodmanson and uh so that was kind of cool to see that at least it got used up but uh, we still have those demos, and and uh, you can hear a lot on there where John was really struggling to find his voice. Um, but then hearing those songs done with Portugal, it made complete sense. Yeah, and, and so uh, I mean they're doing. Uh, we're doing so. Is, is he like? Is John rich now? No, no. How um, how do you get that big and not have a bunch of money? Well, we he just seems like a normal this guy. A couple weeks ago, he is. He is absolutely and. And uh, we talked about this. I was doing some plumbing over at his house, and, and uh, I, I basically sat him down. I was like, dude, are you happy? Like, are you happy with where you're at? I mean, your things are going a million miles an hour, um, you know? And he said, yeah, I think so, you know? it's And we talked about his access. He has access to anyone, yeah. you know, like, uh, um, and how that affects him and, and things like that. But when I said, man, if you guys just had the one hit single 
and I made a joke about Harvey Danger, I think, um, who happened to be roommates with Kyle <laughs> back in the day. And, and they said, no, he's not rich either. Uh, they're like, if this was anatomy days and we were this big, we would have tons of money. Uh-huh. But now with no one buying records or anything else, and they don't do like the VIP stuff or anything yeah. like that. I mean, they're they're making a salary every week. Um, and then everything else goes into their business manager's hands and, and does what he will. And they have salary lined out, I believe, for three years, um, like backup salary. So if the band said they don't want to do it anymore, they still get the salary for three years. And then at that point, they get the rest of the money. But they're not. So there not is a lot of money means. somewhere, but it's still not near as amount that you would think it would be. There's a substantial yeah. amount of money, but it's not. That's between all those people. And they pay everyone the same on tour uh-huh. from the merch guy to John. No way. The same amount when they're touring. It's the way they've always done it. That's and cool. It's, I really respect that. Well, that's that, kind of conservative um, to have that salary thing and stuff lined out, yeah. you know. But at the same time, they're in a big major label system, right? Yeah, yeah. So Atlantic, the money yeah. goes a ton of different ways. Like, you, there's millions yes. of dollars generated, no doubt. I mean, there's millions oh, of dollars generated t- in total, but that's a fraction of what would have been generated, you know, ten years ago. But still, mm-hmm. largely, I mean, yeah, the way it gets cut with the labels and the managers and the agents, and you're right, they, 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 when you're that big, there's this other phenomenon that happens, and it's the opposite of what where we're at for the most part. But you have to reinvest your money because of the. The, there's some amount of perception being reality and things that you have to do. You can't just take all the money and put it in your pocket. You are a, a real thing. It's like a company couldn't do that. It's not, it's not like a- Apple has $500 billion in cash. Well, they don't split it up. It doesn't go to the CEO. Tim Cook doesn't take yep. it home. It's you, you, just, you cannot, at a high level, you cannot think that way. You can only think exactly. future opportunity and reinvestment and how to make it stay where it is and operate at a high level. You can't get that way about it. So in an ironic way, smaller bands like us are able to, like, per size we are, and what we maximize in dollars is actually really, really good. But it's it, yeah. we're able to – and it's still really inefficient. I mean, I still feel like the amount of money we total totally generate that actually goes into my family's pocket is un, still unbelievably small, but that's probably mm-hmm. nothing compared to – big bands with millions of dollars generated that still wind up with just I bet their tax returns are like meager. I'm sure it is. Yeah. And I mean Relatively John bought speaking. a house and I don't know I mean I don't know how much <laughs> delve into this, but John John went to buy a house and uh, you know, plenty of plenty of, you know, uh, uh income to substantiate yeah. buying a house, like making a house payment and everything. He wasn't gonna go pay cash of course. Couldn't pay cash. But when he walked in to get his get his loan, they're yeah, like, good luck. yeah, we can't. Yeah. You need a cosign. <laughs> Which is weird because then, of course, they're like, we know who you are. Yeah. But your job could The computer tells us, no, I know who you are. Yeah. I'm, I'm a fan of your band. I saw you on TV yeah. yesterday. But the computer says no on this one. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. So, so, you know, he had, you know, have to have cosigner on the house with his dad, I believe. And, uh. Which is just funny because you think you see people on magazines and everything else and and you think they have the life and they do have a pretty awesome job. But at the same time, there's still basic life struggles that can can get you, you know, um, get you going. And, and that's one of them, like just not being able to go in and, and apply for a loan because your income is so staggered, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, and not guaranteed. You know, That's what they don't out. like about it is they go, okay, so you might not sell any records next week for all we know. I mean, you don't have a guarantee anything. Yeah. So that's the problem. Exactly. There. But uh, they're smart with their money and, and, uh, that's going to be really good for them in the end because, I mean, they're not going to have a retirement. I mean, you got to, it's not like they're earning a pension or anything. Yeah. Um, you know, so, but yeah, they've done really well and, uh, taking care of their money and, and being frugal where it counts, and then also knowing what needs to be done to, to get the record they want out, um, you know, because they have a good budgets on yeah, these records, that's right. and that's a lot of recoupment. So, yeah, that's true. And so, how do you find being in the in you know alternatively doing you're doing plumbing? Yeah, I I love it, man. It's 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 something I didn't know about. Like I, I applied at the hall and, and took two and a half years to get in because that crash, uh, 2008 and everything, uh, every, all the work stopped. Uh Um, and then when I got into it, it was kind of like with music where you're building something from the ground up, you start with a seed and, and, uh, you know, you see your work done at the end of the day. You're not, you know, sitting 
on a computer and, and uh, you know, the same things there when you got there as when you left. I mean, you're putting something together and, and uh, it's an important trade. I mean, being able to see the importance of what I do helps me do it every day. And you're doing um, plumbing on a commercial level. Yes, yes. So uh, right systems now I'm building uh, uh, two hospitals, cancer hospitals down here in Portland. Um, worked out at Nike for a while. Uh, doing their new fitness center where the Blazers will, uh, Blazers opponents will practice, um, things like that. There's cool, cool opportunities with it, and the money's great for you know a, a living wage yeah. as far as supporting my family and stuff, um, and it's fun, you know. And it's, so you're getting uh, to be involved in the design of the systems and all that stuff. Yep, yep. I've taken a role detailing now on this hospital to where we're working on designing the systems before they go in, basically creating them on CAD and uh, those programs. So that was a whole new ball game as well, but uh, also frees me up, you know, physically. I'm a lot less tired at the end of the day when I go home uh, to play with the kids and stuff, and and put all my energy into podcasting after that. I mean, that's something that's taken off quite a bit. That's uh, I didn't anticipate to be that much work as it's become, but it definitely takes up the rest of my time. Yeah, which drives my wife nuts. But yeah, yeah. I bet, I bet. That is that is hard. So the on um and I'll move from plumbing here in a second, but I, I am interested in trades themselves. Uh I, yeah. I, I like the thing I like about trades is there there's this really conceptual level that is very attractive to me. Like work is fine. I'm not interested in being a laborer, ditch digger or anything like that, but I'm very yeah. attracted to you know Pouring concrete and the forms and foundations and plumbing systems and the air compressor system on our bus and hydraulic systems on heavy equipment. Like, I just cannot mm-hmm. help it. I am just, it, you know, naturally extremely fascinated with those things and find myself spending time thinking about it for no reason. And so in those regards, I think the <laughs> trades are, are really interesting. Electrical, of course, is very I, – I, I love residential yeah. and commercial electrical. I know that's silly, but yeah. I'll just look at it everywhere I go and think about it. But – um. You you enjoy you enjoy it that way. It's not like oh Dewey's band failed and now he fixes toilets, right? It's not that. No, no. <laughs> That's the best part is is commercial plumbing. You make ten dollars more an hour than the people that do the shitty pipe uh, working on houses doing service. Yeah. Um, to put in all new stuff, and you learn the science behind it. Right. Then you're 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 basically making yourself worth what you're making. I mean, it's it's a, a learned trade. It's a five year apprenticeship program, and. Uh, I mean, it's. I don't know anywhere that that will start you at what we make straight out of yeah, college, basically, absolutely. which is straight out of the apprenticeship. That's awesome, and uh, it's something that's going to last, and it's it's helping out. Um, you know, I mean, working on a cancer hospital. I mean, how much more worth can you feel in your job? You know, you're you're putting in a system, you're putting in a medgas system that's going to save a child's life in a NICU. You know, both my kids were in the NICU. And a plumber put that med gas together that saved their life. I you know? love that. Yeah, it's important. You know, it's awesome. It circles around, and it, I know it's sentimental, kind of. But it's it, when I'm working on that stuff, I'm thinking about those people, you know, that are going to need it. Um, you know, it's 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 a good trade. It's I like it a lot. Yeah. So, but what if you had to work on something that was negative? Like, what if you had to do plumbing in a new uh, white power center? You know, think about it. They're building a new, but yep, it's double time pay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'd have to think of it as maybe once they get shut down, someone else is going to really need this building. So you would, you'd, you'd falsely wire the gas line in that one so that it would blow yeah. up. Yeah. Or I'd plumb it backwards so it backed <laughs> up into the, yeah. Well, you know, it's amazing where I come from because where I come from is a, actually my dad, owned and always had a construction business, a grading and paving business. So I grew mm-hmm. up on, on site work with bulldozers and paving machines and stuff like that. My earliest memories are that and heavy equipment and all that kind of stuff. So he ran a business that did that for most of his whole life, which I chose not to go into. But something about it just feels so natural and home to me that I, I, I miss it a little bit. But in the, And I, my yeah. parents never guilted me or said, you need to go into this business or take it over or anything like that. And I, I really appreciate that. But and part of it was that whole business. It wasn't seen as like great, like especially the laborers. They made nothing an hour, and even the equipment operators yeah. and the people doing trades where I'm from, at least in the '80s and at that time, it wasn't. I mean, plumbers were fixed toilets, and they didn't make much money. That was the way it, it yeah. felt and seemed. And now I live here in Seattle in the whatever year it is now, and I I know all these blue collar 
in air quotes, workers. Um, and I didn't actually make the air quotes. I just said air quotes. That's funny. Um, <laughs> but they, these blue-collar people that you run into, and they're tough, and they're like just, oh, the blue-collar people. And then I think, and I see them pull up in their, you know, 2017 Toyota Tundra truck. I'm like, that's a $50,000 truck. I mean, back yeah. to the car thing. And they can afford it. And I'm just like, yeah, I can never afford that truck. And I think about Wes. I said, wait a second. I'm a, a professional entertainer and international rock star, whatever it is I am. And no doubt about it, you and all those people make more money than me, for sure. Like just people that yeah. work, that do electrical. And it's like, oh, wow, that's a, yeah. that's kind of a dip. I mean, like, and I don't, that's what I'm saying. I don't disrespect it. I almost fundamentally like that stuff. And I just, I, yeah. but I always never thought of that as something that would be good or okay money-wise. But it's astonishing how much the tradesmen make. It's, and it's great. Yeah. And that, I think that's where everybody should gravitate towards because they're so good. That, that to welding, to medical technicians, all that stuff, that's great, man. Mm -hmm. Please, go. Yeah. don't go to college and get a humanities degree or whatever stupid shit that is. Yeah. At least, I mean... Get training. Focus on training, yeah. not degrees of whatever bullshit. But, I mean, that stuff can be great. And I, they make good money. make more than I do, guaranteed. Yeah, plumbers and electricians make the most of any trades out there uh, besides elevator constructors. And, and uh, they're usually within a dollar an hour of each other, depending on when their contract uh, negotiations happen. And uh, that's why I signed up for both. I signed up for electrical and for plumbing, and plumbing came first. So, um, yeah, it's, it's Where did awesome. you get and, that advice or the, uh, you know— how did you know to do, uh, I mean, to do that? Well, I looked it up. Basically, I looked at carpenters, and there's a joke. What's the difference between a carpenter and a plumber? About ten bucks an hour. So whenever the contract or the carpenters are giving you shit, like you'd always bring that joke out because uh -huh. they make about ten dollars less. So um, I was looking at, I was like, man, the two top paid trades are electrical and and uh, plumbing. The only reason electrical or uh, elevator constructors make more is because there's only like four or five shops in town, and they're all union. Uh -huh. um, with plumbing, there's so many non-union plumbing shops that it drives everything down a little bit yeah. more. So um, with the elevator constructors, that's the top. And there's like 2,000 people that do that, and it's hard to get it's into. very hard to get into. Yeah. Um, but yeah, with with uh, with plumbing, I just had a buddy in the trade that said, hey, the hall's opening up for the apprenticeship. You should sign up. And I was like, dude, I'll do it. And uh, it just took forever. So I had another baby, and I went to college. <laughs> And got my associates during that two and a half year period before they called me back. And uh, yeah, then I've just been doing this ever since. And I'm not using my college degree at all. <laughs> you know, I'm always worried about or think about, I don't, I don't know if I really worry about it, but we often discuss it like, oh, these bands, there aren't bands anymore. And you just don't get the best feeling about where some of those people's futures are going to be. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. bands don't last forever. I, mine happens to be around, but that's a, obviously a fluke. But you know, the bands aren't going to last forever, and the bass player and this band or that band, I'm not going to say any names, of course, but that, you're like, oh, gosh, what is that guy going to do? And it almost, I almost get this sense that it's worse for them. having in, in some ways, it's better having had experiences, but in some level, when people go out of band life or something cool or glamorous, they, they tend to not want to move on correctly mm -hmm. sometimes but you seem to have gotten with that was that is that hard or how do you feel about that situation of being able to let something go to move on to the next thing well it's ironic because touring taught me to let things go quickly and and uh whether it's girlfriends um you know possessions things like that where we had to drop everything and go on tour uh -huh. it was hard the first time but it got easier every time i had to do that like all right well i'm not gonna have room for this so i'll just sell it or give it to goodwill like mostly material things they got good at, yeah. at leaving that behind so when it came time to stop playing music it was fairly easy to leave that behind i was like you know i've been here here and here i'm starting to recognize chevron bathrooms i mean i'm done with the rat race um, but it's time to get an actual job and, uh, and move on. And, and it always felt like, if, I feel like I've gotten the best of both worlds. When we were touring all the time, I'd come home, friends, hey, what'd you do, you know, while I was gone? And, oh, I graduated college or had a baby or got married. Um, you know, they're pro progressing. And then they're like, what'd you do? And I was like, I played the same 10 songs over and over again uh, in different cities, which is awesome. I'm not putting it down, but at the same time, now I'm getting to experience the other part, going to college, getting married, having kids, having a job, you know, working towards something that you can make last your lifetime. Um, 
you know, much less than music. And, and if I wanted to do music, I mean, I could easily, you know, do it, but there just wasn't enough certainty in it for me to, um, you know, with my kids say, you know what, let's give this a shot because I wasn't into it the same way, uh-huh. um, as I was when I was younger. Well, you know, I've got different priorities now. So it, it may be even more difficult the amount of success you have. I mean, there's probably a situation where you become unemployable. I, I mean, I, 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 let's say, I mean, what? It, let's say Ben Gibbard said, went to see a psychic, and they said you cannot do music anymore. He became convinced that music was not for him anymore. Although, of course, he could make yeah. money doing it, whatever. What job can he go do? Do you know? Like he exactly. can't. What's he gonna do? Work at a place i mean he would it would be so even if he wanted to or had some skill it just would be what are you doing you're head of a car dealership or something i mean i don't know what you even yeah. could do at, you know regardless of you what are you gonna be a, just a software engineer next to the next guy ben gibbard or yeah. something i don't know you'd have to stay in you have to stay in music like with uh, yeah. when i was talking to the thrice guys when they went on that hiatus like Eddie started working for a management company, yeah. managing bands. Riley went to tech for Weezer and Jimmy Eat World. Yeah, but see, like, that's what I'm saying. Uh, that's that's okay, and it makes sense, and it might be a good decision, but it almost feels like that's holding you back at that point. Sure, I, it I feel, absolutely I, I don't is. think that sounds great. To, I mean, I, there's maybe Riley wants to be a tech forever. My guess is not. I, I'm, for no, sure he's happier no, he to be back not. in Thrice <laughs> playing again, yeah. even though at the time he's probably like, fuck this, I'm out of, we're done. I'm yeah. pretty sure. I don't know when I mean, you do, but um, you know, it does. It seems to me like it's like, well, I have to. You feel trapped now. Like I have to be around the power of the mm-hmm. thing, or I need to be in this. Or this is now. This is all I know. I can't move on. Like I, I think that's sure. not. That doesn't usually seem like a good thing. And then that was part of what feeds into why all, every band comes back or does a reunion or figures shit out because you just yeah. you can't get away from it. You know. <laughs> we talked about i had uh adam from fear before on the show and fear before was going to get together and do a tour this year uh which i don't think is going to happen now but uh he was joking and we were joking like if we got bear versus shark since they're back together somewhat and then get anatomy to get back together and go out <laughs> and uh i was like you know what? i'd probably do that for one tour a couple weeks or something like that just for fun but it would never be a money grab issue or like a you know uh you know Mm-hmm. 20th anniversary or 10th anniversary yeah. of the record and played all the way through kind of thing but so yeah, that'll but, never happen <laughs> but but you found something pretty healthy and i i would draw a straight line a through line through this and correct me if i'm wrong but you're obsessed like really obsessed with podcasting and to me that's oh, like yeah. a different like maybe a, it, it's it has to feel that media creation or creative or something void that you must i mean there must be something of you that misses touring would have had it and this has to be somewhat of a replacement for that right sure it's it's definitely i was talking to my wife before i did it i was like you know i'm thinking i could maybe do this uh and it's a way to stay connected with buddies from the music Uh industry that i've had forever yeah uh you know and but still be creative but at this time instead of riding a train that i wasn't driving like with anatomy or portugal where it was, I was playing someone else's music pretty much, I'm responsible for this. So every like on Twitter, every you know awesome comment or five-star rating on the show is for something that I've put together, and I really feel a lot more uh, value uh, for me in that because it's in, you know and, and more responsibility um, to provide something that I feel proud of um, you know, versus a music where I just had to go out and play every night. Yeah. This I have to actually prepare for. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it, it's it's cool. It's a cool medium. The, it's unregulated. We can put out whatever we want. We can say what we want. We can talk to who we want. You know, there's no rules, really. I mean, yeah. there's basic guidelines you want to follow to stay consistent um, with formatting and stuff. But other than that, it's just a free free market. It's awesome. Yeah, it is. But it... it uh, you. You get something. I mean, it satisfies something to be able to be doing that for sure, right? Like, uh, you don't make yeah. money from it really, or not a lot, or not yet, and all that kind of stuff. But that's, I mean, the amount of work I see you put into it, and if we've talked about it, is clearly something you're not doing for its any kind of direct return, other than yeah. the process itself, which is, exactly. gosh, I just can't. I just wish people had that view, like the way that you do. It's just the best way to do it. Well, I appreciate that, man, and that's and you were a big part of that too. When I called you up, I was like, "Hey, can you chat for a little while? I want to have these questions." And it's funny listening to you and Ray go back and forth about podcasts and the mistakes 
people make in the beginning because I was pretty much doing all of those. <laughs> so like, man, what about ads and what about this and what? And you're like, no, 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 no. Give it, just get out there. And, and when you told me that that uh, you know picture, say you had 150 people listen to your episode and you walked out your back door and they were all standing there. Yeah. And said, hey, and, and you could see them. Yeah. How cool that would feel. Yeah. And then thinking about that when you see how many listens you're getting to you know people are listening to you it's it's cool yeah 150 is great and that was a cool I perspective mean, whatever uh, it is but yeah it's yeah it's definitely more than that but when you when you were using the analogy it was like picture 150 people in your backyard oh yeah no i know your show's bigger than 150 i'm just saying people that yeah, have shows good. even 150 people listen I mean, oh yeah you, that's more people than you know that's more than i mean you're a local band place and you get 12 people to come i've done it a million times you know it's your family yeah. your aunt and whoever else so if you can get a podcast going to 212 people listen tune in and listen that didn't you didn't have to guilt into doing this that you're on you're off and running enjoy it you know yeah. there yeah. you go it's, congratulations it's is what you, should, you know should say <laughs> so I, yeah. I don't know. that's one way that i think about it but you you are a process guy and that's a, that's the important thing you can't get good at something unless you're that way like and it gets harder and harder in a way too. If you, th- it's really similar to guitar playing. Like everybody plays guitar, and most people actually get pretty good. But it's not because mm-hmm. they have an end in mind. That's not how you get good yeah. at guitar. You don't say, "Shit, I've got to practice guitar for the next eight years for two hours a day so that I can get what I want." That's almost nobody that's good at guitar thinks that way. It's so it'd be absolute yeah. horrible risk reward strategy it would be horrible enjoyment wise it would be very very little chance you'd have success it would not feel good it'd be horrible efficiency and time resource management if you approach learning guitar that way you put you enjoy playing the guitar whether it's practicing or noodling or whatever you like to you get good because you're enjoying the thing that you're doing that at that moment and the next then yeah, exactly. it may emerge that you wind up with a talent or a style or an audience or some or mm-hmm. money or success. Those things may emerge, and you don't have to worry yeah. about it if you're enjoying the process. And that's you're the <laughs> podcast uh, example of that, and a good one, a really really good one. Well, thank you, and that's and that's the thing. I enjoy my work, and I enjoy the podcast. I mean. That's why I grind so hard on it is because it's enjoyable. That's right. I mean, I don't it's mind not, sitting yeah. there for two hours working on editing something or bringing in. I brought in some buddies now that are on the staff that that are, you know, Joe from Anatomy is, is producing this show and doing the editing. So a lot of times I just have to record the interview, send it to him, kind of give him a rough idea of what I'm looking for. And, and it comes out the other end. Yeah. Uh, and he loves doing it and he does it for free. It's awesome. Yeah. And I would <laughs> we, it's point, a good way for us to stay connected. I want to point out to you that even that in itself is a very important skill. And that is uh, project managing or human development. Uh, it's probably there's negotiation involved in that. It's management. You know, that what you're doing there to get your buddy. I mean, it's not like you, he's on salary with medical or anything. I, I doubt you even yeah. really pay him. Um, or, or even if you do, I'm sure it's not much. And so you now you found some way to motivate and incentivize and collaborate with somebody in a structure that you're also creating. Yep. And that's a skill worth learning too, how to interface with other people, how to do collaborative sure. projects together. And that's all, all. And then your verbal skills and your uh, networking skills. And you're, you're really amazing at finding and booking guests. You help me get guests. Uh, and it's tremendous. Uh, some of my best guests I've ever had, you either found them or sent them to me or whatever it is. And so all those things are skills sure. that just come along and they'll, they completely overlap. So whether you ever are a professional podcast or not, it's just totally beside the point almost. In yeah, a, you know. I'm just enjoying it. It's just a journal for me basically and, yeah. and a bunch of snapshots of where I was and you know, for my kids and stuff, it's a big deal. Like I, I can just scroll through the old episodes and be like, man, you know, Grayson's going to love listening to this one at one point, you know, if we talk about this. You know, or, I've never even thought yeah, about that. Cool. My kids will eventually go back and listen, I guess. They're not old enough to yeah. really listen. I don't even know what age would be appropriate, but I imagine it'll – maybe they won't care. Well, they, I don't even – I haven't even thought about that with my music. Will they go back and listen to it and like it or will it just be – will I force yeah. them to do it and they won't care? What you think? Well, that's be. the thing. Like Toby's kids, Toby and De- and Devin's kids, are going to be able to hear their voice. That's true. I mean, you've done some vocal stuff. Yeah. But they're going to hear you. Are if they want to hear you speak and yeah. hear Dad's voice when you're gone, this is what oh. they're going to come to, and they're going to have so much content. And uh, you know, I Shit. hate using that word content too, but I mean, they're going to have so many hours. I mean, I have hours of tapes of my dad's old radio show 
uh, he did in Petersburg when I first started discovering music, like sit, going with them on Thursday nights for a Friday release and sitting in the record room playing records so I wouldn't make any noise in his room. Man. And I'd go listen. I can still listen to those tapes. I mean, hearing your dad when he's in his 30s, like it's it's awesome. Well, that makes you me know? sound sad. Uh, they listen to me talking on this. Listen to this uh, when when I'm dead. Hey Georgia. Hey Jerry. Is dad? Yeah. <laughs> it's like Herrera said. When <laughs> if you're listening to this today or ten thousand years from now, hello. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. Right. Like I'm long gone now, yeah. but uh, great grandkids yeah. I've never met. I love you. I wish I could have met you. Take this episode with Dewey Halpus, and you know, I, I, yeah. I, you know, I did the best I could. I'm sorry for my shortcomings. <laughs> <So> forgive. <laughs> That's what I have to say. <laughs> uh, or, exactly or let me suggest an alternative that that is a little more optimistic. I will have thousands of hours logged of my voice, my mannerisms, uh-huh. my points of view. Um, my mind essentially dumped into some audio format. So when all the other technologies are good enough and the AIs are good enough, I suppose they will just simply be able to use this archive and recreate a bot of me that's realistic. So when I'm gone, they can just have grandpa walk in a room at age 30 with and and interact with them the way he would have. They won't have to be on iPods going back to listen to this. They'll actually have a hologram or a bot literally inter- extrapolate the rest of what I would have said in whatever situation. And it won't be exactly me, but it'll be very close. And it will actually go and they, this kids can ask. My kids' kids will be able to ask a hologram of me a question, <laughs> and the AI will be able to give them an accurate answer in real time. Yeah. They'll be able to interact with an artificial intelligence version of me, perhaps, because I've logged all this. Sure, and you can take it one step further. There's a guy that had uh, got diagnosed with ALS, and there's this new technology that they let him use. And as he was deteriorating, this is sad, of course, but uh, he was saying all these different phrases, and they were recording them. Uh-huh. So now he can control. Oh, that's great. He yeah. can't speak now. He can't yeah. speak now. But he can say things to his kids in his voice oh, yeah. because they have all that audio. Yeah. I mean, there's so many cool things. Yeah, I'm going to start doing that. I'm gonna start yeah, doing that. I say, get off that damn couch! Yeah. And then when I lose the ability to get say off the it, shed. yeah, right. Then then I can play that back when I don't no longer have my verbal capacities. <laughs> That's good. Get off the shed. Yeah, yeah exactly. Just, yeah, you and Will Ferrell. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. <laughs> no, I don't know. Who knows? But yeah, it, there's. Pro- I mean, there's going to be consequences of these these types of things. That, that's what's always fun about a new medium is you just never know. You're just throwing stuff out there and you're doing it. And that's some of the biggest monumental stuff that's ever happened was people doing stuff that they had no clue what the results, ramifications, or future uses of it were. They were just do again, back to process. They're doing what they're doing, and then the discovery comes or something explodes out of it or something is it's utilized for a different purpose than they ever had you know, intentionally in the first place. And it could be amazing. Yeah. So Absolutely. at least we, at least by making podcasts and media, you have a chance of something happening with it, yep. like success or not success, but whatever. But that all oh, those things should just be emergent. They're they're not the goal. They're just possible outcomes that could be positive. And it usually exactly. seems like there's very little negatives to creating things. Like I mean, atomic yep. bomb perhaps is bad. Uh, you know, there's a few that are bad. But for most creativity, it's <laughs> is, is, is is not use is neg is seems to be more of a chance that. Creative things are typically positive. I maybe yeah. I, I never thought that through before this moment, but it seems at this time to it seems reasonable that that would be the case. Sure, and think of all these ideas we come up with when we're podcasting and yeah. just chatting. I mean, all these idea generation. This idea generation is uh, it's just crazy. I mean, yeah. the things you can come up with and just spitballing. I mean, it's awesome. Yeah. So I, I you know, natural, even just the so. telephone is really good, but these technologies and and the formats here, um, it's just the way I look at it is I have access to your your brain. Like, you know, I can think through your point of view. Like, huh, I wonder how Dewey would do this, and I have access mm-hmm. to that directly. And just a, mo- I have a model of you in my head that I use to, if I want to think about something through his view or Reva's view or Toby's view, you know, and that's mm-hmm. really useful to be able to, to interface this way and do it. So that's one thing. You're right. Just us having this conversation benefits me. I hope it benefits the listener. I believe sure. it does, but I know it benefits me and I enjoy catching up and talking to Dewey. So I, I couldn't be happier about what I'm doing. Yeah. It's awesome, man. I love it. And yeah. this is, uh, yeah, you, you and I, 
I wouldn't say lost touch, but we hadn't talked in a That's long right. time until the That's podcasting right. thing came back around and it brought us back together. And, you know, Absolutely. it's awesome. It's just, a, it's, there's, I don't see any negatives to podcasting at all. Yeah. So I'm trying I, to think cool it's, it's weird. Cause there's a lot of negatives in the world, but the, you know, creativity is a good way to go if you can enjoy it regardless of the outcome. But I know you're exactly. on your lunch break of your plumbing job. And yes, so sir. I hope you have a few more minutes to get, uh, get you a Jack in the box taco and get back to work. Oh, I do. <laughs> I'm going to be fine. <laughs> All right, Dewey, thanks. I enjoyed talking to you today. Hey, thanks a lot, C- man. Come up to Seattle so we can do it in studio. It's even better. So let me I know will, when buddy. you can come up. I will. You can stay with me, too. All right, man. All right. Right on. See you later. All right, see you later. You've been listening to the Jabberjaw Podcast Network, jabberjawmedia.com. Hey, this is Chris Swinney, formerly of the Ataris and currently host of That One Time on Tour, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Have you ever wondered what it's really like on the road? The highs can be euphoric, but the lows can be crushing. Join me every week as I chat with industry pros about what it's like living out their wildest dream and in some cases, their worst nightmare. Past guests of the show include members of NoFX, Pennywise, Bad Religion, and more. Listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hi, I'm Emma. And I'm Joe. And And we're we're the the Professional professional Book book nerds. Nerds. Two Mondays a month, we interview authors and talk about their upcoming books, what drives them, and their go-to order at the cafe. On Thursdays, we share recommendations and dive into topics readers face, like how do I actually read the books on my to-be-read list? You can find the Professional Book Nerds podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Want to learn more about us? Our website is professionalbooknerds.com, and you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at ProBookNerds. We hope you'll come and listen, and as always, happy happy reading. reading!